and welcome back to Animation Broadcast and Cinema. We are back from our break. My name is Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And he is sounding more high definition than ever, ladies and gentlemen. He's got himself a new microphone. We Hello, are, everyone. We are making upgrades. Listen to that. This is my real voice. Oh, yeah. We are making some moves. Um, I plan on getting one soon. Uh, we got a great first half of the show because we've been able to see some movies over this break time. Uh, I got back to the theater to see some stuff I've been meaning to see. Jacob got back to see something that uh, I think everyone wants to see that not many have seen yet. But before we get to all of that stuff, the movie event of the year has had people going insane. The Spider-Man tickets have finally gone on sale. Mm-hmm. The pre-sale, they went on pre-sale, not even like regular, for, regularly for sale. You know, it was... Uh, a limited drop i think they didn't have all the times listed in a lot of uh areas and uh, people lost their minds yeah let me tell you though for me it was a freaking nightmare getting tickets oh my god i so i i knew they were going on sale this past monday and i i read like it was going to be on sale at midnight i was looking at my theater and i really didn't i thought like maybe the thursday showing would get like booked immediately at midnight but Friday, Saturday, Sunday would be fine. I didn't feel like going like on a Thursday. So I waited until the morning of. And I woke up for work at like 7.30 a.m. Uh, got ready, looked at my phone at 8. And I was like, all right, let me look at Spider-Man tickets and see what I can get. Thursday, sold out. All right, typical. It's what I expected. Friday showings, all sold out at the theater. Every single one, like the, from the 7 o'clock on, was just sold out. I was like, Okay. Saturday, move on. All sold out. Sunday, there's like a few remaining tickets left. And I was like, what the fuck? It's 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning. And it's already fully booked at this theater. So I ended up having to look at another theater, which was also almost sold out. But I managed to get tickets for, or decent seats on Friday. Um, that Friday. I was a bad... Which is insane. I was a bad Spider-Man fan for the drop. I was a bad... Uh, I, I, I was ashamed of myself. I... Knew they were dropping on the 29th, but I didn't even th- I didn't think it would be midnight for some reason. I thought it would be closer to an eight or ten, you know. Yeah, because I feel like they usually do like in the morning or like afternoonish. I don't know, usually hear about midnight drops. Right, like at, I've never done one like that before. In game, I remember it went on sale at like a at like a three thirty, and yeah, I had an alert set for it and everything. I had an alert set for Spider Man too, but it didn't tell me. It didn't go off. Um, because my location was set to Athens, I'm going to see it in Atlanta, um, because the next day I fly out to go to Vegas. Um, and so I, the Athens times hadn't dropped yet. Like there were no screenings yet. So I'm guess not. It was just major markets that they released in at that time. Um, or maybe not. Yeah, my my theater too did not show show times until the day of. They just like popped up randomly. So I don't know if they're hiding them on purpose, but mm-hmm. they didn't pop up till day of. Interesting. Um, but I was able to get mine too. I got not not as good as I would have wanted, but you know, it's whatever. Yeah, same. I'm. That's I, what it is. I didn't get an IMAX. I should have gotten an IMAX, and I'm like kicking myself thinking about it. Cause I feel I I got it in a RPX, which is Regal's, you know, IMAX size screen or whatever, ever, but it's not the same. 
I bet it would be crazy. Even if I wanted IMAX, I couldn't get it because every IMAX or BTX or whatever showing, all those were immediately sold out. Yeah. So I'm seeing it at a regular screen. Unfortunate, but I'd rather see it opening weekend than than wait. No, I was. I totally said to my girlfriend, I was like, I we I will see it on a TV screen. Like I am going Mm -hmm. to see this movie. Um, Because as soon as like opening weekend's done, I feel like there's gonna be spoilers everywhere. It's going to be terrible. I, I'm i thinking about, like, blocking the word Spider-Man on Twitter already. Mm, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Even, like, the Thursday night. Like, I feel like it's still going to be popping on Twitter. I'm checking the IMAX right now for um, Atlanta, and I'm going to see. Wow. There is one seat available in the middle, and the rest is the entire front row. That's it. Yeah, for all my showings, when I say sold out, I don't mean fully sold out. There's always, like, the front row that has, like, a couple seats in there. Front. Who wants those? Front row in an IMAX theater would be, it's my, that's my hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whoever's had to sit through that. (laughs) That is my personal hell. Uh, An amazing movie on the screen, but you have to watch it in an IMAX front row. (laughs) One, your neck, because you're just looking up the entire time. But two, you're seeing like probably a third of the screen through your like your peripheral vision. Like that's right. all you can see because it's so big. You have to actively turn your head. Yeah. <laughs> like all right, there's his head. There's his body. Could you? Ima- oh, his legs are walking. <laughs> Could you imagine Dune in the front row? Oh. I mean, that would be an experience, but just a totally just different experience than the people in the back row. Be an experience, not necessarily a good one. Hey, man. If you really want to get that close to the desert, I guess that's your best option. Um, so you added a news article here. Do you want to explain the news article you put in the outline? Yeah, sure. So I was doing a little reading about Spider-Man this morning, looking at the, the tickets and all that, the box office tickets so far. And this article from the New York Post came up saying, Spider-Man fans beaten in melee for No Way Home tickets. So apparently, in I think this was uh, Mexico at a theater, there was like a huge line out the door to get tickets at the actual theater, <laughs> and a brawl went out because I guess I don't know, probably someone cut in line or, or whatever. But yeah, there's a picture of just people getting beaten up over Spider-Man No Way Home tickets, which is just wild to me. And I can relate. I would a hundred percent beat somebody up for Spider-Man tickets. That's just how committed I am. It depends. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I'm beating anyone up, but um, oh, you dude, it's the movie event of the year besides Venom too. Um, but yeah, if I was waiting in line, and this is probably like the day of, they're they're waiting in this long line, waiting to get these tickets. They're so excited, and they probably just see someone just like walk up to the front and cut or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'd be pretty bad. Somebody's I'd hearing totally about get it. Their anger. Yeah. Imagine, okay, let's, I'll try to put this in, like, your terms. Imagine it's, like, a new A24 movie, and, <laughs> but PTA is. It doesn't is, matter the movie. But PTA <laughs> is doing else. an A24 movie, and. <laughs> that doesn't help. Um, I'm, not, I'm not beating anyone <laughs> up. All right. So but, yeah, these people, there's, like, six people in this picture, and they're just going at it. That no. is hilarious. I really thought it would be New York that that was happening because, you know, it's such a – Spider-Man is such a New York thing. But, nope, it's in yeah. Cuernavaca, Mexico. I feel like most people got theirs online. In America. 
yeah, maybe Mexico, it's better just to go to the theater and do it. I don't know, but I mean, yeah, there was definitely a huge line. Could you imagine? I, in twenty twenty one, I could not picture myself waiting in line at a movie theater for tickets early. I would if I had to, but I couldn't. I, I couldn't imagine somebody trying to remember drop back in like the that. day when like a, there was a big uh, showing of a movie and you had to go like an hour, two hours early just to get good seats. Yep. Uh, those were the days. Did, the line was always out the door. I was anti-reserve seating when it dropped, and I'm still I still miss the miss that uh, feeling of like getting there early. But it is fun the anticipation of everyone waiting in line, talking about like what you think is gonna happen. Um, I remember I saw the first uh, part of Harry Potter uh, and the Deathly Hallows at. Wow, that's exactly what I was thinking. Of really? I that. Yeah. I th- I think that was pr- that's probably the last big movie event that people did that for. I think a lot of people have memories like that. Yeah. Also, I remember it because I saw it in 3D, and for the glasses, they gave the Harry Potter 3D glasses. No! so hyped. It was awesome. Like round ones? Yeah, they were no! round 3D glasses, like exactly like Harry Potter. Like, that's, that's the coolest awesome. thing ever. Oh, that's amazing. I wish I saw Adam. Um, I saw it, speaking of front row, I saw that movie in the front row because I was not far enough up in the line. Mm. We, had bought in the, we had bought the tickets early on Fandango, with the print off it was oh, still yeah. the print off and so mm-hmm. um we got there and we were and it wasn't even any of my family it wasn't my friends it was my parents friend who i knew from growing up uh and she took me to the movie because like no one in her family wanted to go see it so she picked me up at like 11 o'clock at night and we went and saw the deathly hallows part one wow it was awesome yeah, I, d- I definitely remember the harry potter movies were big I don't remember any Marvel ones off the top of my head. I feel like I was too young. Yeah. But uh, Hunger Games, I remember, was another big one. You lined, the whole trilogy. You lined up for Hunger Games? For, like, well, the first one didn't get popular until, like, after it came out. But the I think the third one, like, part one or part two, I remember there was a big line for. I'm pretty sure the first, the book was wildly popular before those movies came out. I think the first one was pretty popular. Yeah, I just don't remember waiting in line for that one. It was definitely like the part one or part two of the mm. last one, Mockingjay. Mockingjay. I have so many thoughts about that. I, Hot th- take. I, I love Mockingjay. Oh, uh, you Mockingjay could go best. straight to hell. And from the books. I think the third it's book is the best. definitely the worst book. Mm, no. I, I stopped reading. I couldn't finish it. I couldn't finish wow. it. My dad couldn't finish it either. I ended up going back and finishing it, but it was like after a six-month break, and I was just slogging through it. <laughs> it was. I don't know. It was terrible. That was Mike, though. I almost destroyed my mic. Um, now I love the third book. Ugh, it's, it's disgusting. For the movies, Catching Fire is my favorite. Catching Fire is my favorite book, too, and it was my favorite movie. Um, those movies just didn't do it for me. Yeah. There's better compared to the books. There's better stories like that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of better stories, I think this is the best story that'll be told all year. House of Gucci came out. I mean, I Jacob hates it. I thought it was true. I don't hate it. It was true cinema in its highest form. <laughs> no, I, I I didn't hate it. I just I thought it was very very mediocre. Well, I don't know. There wasn't any. It wasn't boring. The performances were all really great. The story was true, and it was interesting for the most part. But I don't know. I just, like, didn't care about any of it, really. Like, nothing really resonated with me. 
And I feel like the more like I think about it, I feel like it's because the characters' motives were always changing. Like they always just were like on a different motive, like throughout the what film. What do you mean? The was off. I don't want to. I don't want to get too into anything, but I don't agree with that. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's not very I good think, podcast. But <laughs> I don't. I didn't. No, I, don't I think the characters' motives like changed a lot, like th- what they thought, or at least the, maybe that it was the tone and the pacing too. Maybe that was part of it. But I felt like it was just going, like, jumping all over the place, and it, it just kind of confused me, and I didn't really care about anything. But the one the one great thing I love about this movie was Jared Leto. Oh, He's my great. God. He really is. Like, I thought I was going to be saying that as a joke, and it mostly – it's weird. It mostly That's what I thought, is a like, joke. I thought it was going to be, like, a bad performance because I heard he was, like, very wild in this movie. But it worked so well. It's, it's insane. It's one of the – it's either – a terrible acting job or one of the greatest satire performances I've ever seen. No, I think he was very self-aware about what he was doing. That's why I'm saying it's satire. Yeah, and he just nailed it. His accent was so horrendous, and it was so funny. I literally laughed out loud every time he spoke. It's it's almost like he's, like, parodying himself, because I think he thought, like, everybody knew he was going to pull out some outrageous Italian accent. And then he was like, yeah, I'm, I am. You know what? I'm not going to try and do a good one. I'm going to be fucking insane. And I'm going to say the craziest shit you've ever heard. Like, it, it's so good. Uh, your eyes are on him the entire time he's on the screen. Oh, yeah. After this movie, I am shocked he was not cast as Mario. <laughs> he has the perfect voice for Mario. He kind of did. He was doing Mario. That was his audition tape. Um, it's a me, Mario. That's Jared Leto. Um, he, he was, uh, I was astounded. Um, but the thing is, I wish everyone else was on his level I, because he was so out there that everyone else was just like too grounded for me. He was just, he stuck out like a sore thumb. See, this is the main difference I think in our viewing experience. I think everybody was pretty out there. Like Al Pacino, that's not Al Pacino. Like that's a fucking caricature he's doing. Al Pacino yeah. was insane in that movie. Yeah, but not to the extent as Jared Leto. I, I think Jared Leto was so out there that everyone else just felt so normal. Compared I, to I think he just had a weirder voice. I, 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 Al Pacino was fucking working in that movie. Aldo, oh, legend. I, I was, I was smiling every time he was on the screen. And Lady Gaga was. I don't know what accent that was because it was not Italian. She. <laughs> <laughs> she, but she was killing it, dude. She was, she was going off, and Adam. Yeah, I liked her a lot. Adam Driver was more reserved for like fifty percent of the movie, but she was just pretty much using him as a backboard for her own performance. Um, yeah, I thought they were both really great. They were awesome. I mean, you, you see, you 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 keep saying all these people are really great, but then like when you think of it as a whole, you're like, ah. Eh. Yeah, I think all meshed together, it it doesn't work because they're all kind of doing their own thing. Um, but no, it was, I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I enjoyed it. It kept me entertained the whole time. I, but I, don't know. I was reading uh, the Ringers, like they do these exit surveys where they have a bunch of staff members talk about it. Somebody said that they thought Salma Hayek's character was going to be a Tyler Durden situation for half the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, you know who I really liked at that was, uh, I, I very much enjoyed when Jeremy Irons was on the screen. I don't know why, mm. but he like, I think he looked the best in the clothes. Like that's, that's what I think is most important about this movie is that 
it's not it's not a real movie. It is supposed to be trashy as hell. It's about like one of the biggest fashion scandals and gossip tabloid stories that there's that has ever existed and it's just supposed to be about attractive people wearing fancy clothes and a trashy ass story. Like Yeah, Jeremy Irons was definitely the most Italian out of all. He looked that. so suave the entire time. I was I was like, "Oh shit, Jeremy can dress." Also, I feel like actual Italians are so offended by this movie. I th- I think the Gucci family is pretty upset with it. Oh, well, obviously the Gucci family is. Well, I'm just saying Italians in general, they probably hear what these actors are doing and despising it. Want to get away from it as far as possible. Um, so they said that they called it alarmingly insulting. <laughs> the Gucci family? Uh, Aldo, or wait, the heirs of Aldo Gucci uh, didn't mince words when slamming the on-screen portrayal of their famous family. This is extremely painful from a human point of view and an insult to the legacy on which the brand is built today. But it, the insult to the legacy is the way that family destroyed itself. <laughs> like, I, it's, that's the point of the movie. Yeah, but to be fair, I feel like any if you're getting a movie made about you, you're going to hate it in some aspects cuz you can't just like perfectly nail someone's life, you know. Well, here's my favorite part. I love Ridley Scott with with a passion. One of my favorite directors ever. These people that were writing from the family to us at the onset were alarmingly insulting, saying that Al Pacino did not represent physically Aldo Gucci in any shape or form. And yet, frankly, how could they be better represented than by Al Pacino? Excuse me. <laughs> you probably have the best actors in the world. You should be so fucking lucky. Come on! Damn. Come on! I love okay, it. Hey, Ridley. And Scott, and, and so a lot of people were also saying they weren't sure if like Ridley Scott meant for it to be funny. And he was like, I think a lot of it is comedic, definitely for the first two acts. And Jared Leto, there's not a lot of information about his character. But there are pictures about him, and that's exactly what he looks like. So they just made up Jared Leto's character to be fucking funny. Like, that's so that's so great. Yeah, and then Ridley Scott goes on to talk about all the angry millennials out there. Okay, well, okay, are we doing are we doing Last Duel now? Is that is this what we're doing? Oh, well, I was talking about what he said about the Last Duel. We already kind of talked right. about the Last Duel. No, no, no. I haven't. I still haven't even seen the Last Duel. But I, I don't think he said angry millennials, did he? No, sorry. He he was the one angry. He's, but he's he was blaming millennials for the box office bomb that the last duel was. Okay. And this might just totally be my bias showing, but is he wrong? Okay, I don't think he's wrong about what he's saying because I don't have the exact quote up right now, but... He said it has to do with them always millennials always on their cell phones and not paying attention and things like that. I think that yes, part is I, wrong. <laughs> I think I think. Well, okay. Well, you go. You go. Sorry. I'll I'll I'll, I'll get my thoughts together. Um, sorry. No. So what I think I'm just trying to find his quote. He said, "What we've got today are the audiences who br- who were brought up on these fucking cell phones." That's what he says. Uh, the millennium do not ever want to be taught anything unless you're told it on a cell phone. So that's what he said. And he blames that on why the last door bombed. I, to an extent, agree with what he says about millennials and how we're stuck to our phones, whatever. I made a movie about it. Um, but I don't think it has anything to do with why the last door bombed. Why do you think it bombed? 
One, I don't think the marketing was that great. I can agree with that. Two, COVID, and what was the other big one coming out that time? Venom, right? Uh, Venom did come out around the same time, but... There was another big movie that was around that time. Um, and three, I just don't think the... I think they were banking on people going because it was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and this was also their first time writing together since Goodwill Hunting. Right. But I, I think people just like don't really care anymore about that and just didn't really care about this type of movie. Um, it is a very heavy movie. Um, it deals with like rape and like accusing and all that stuff. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. There's, there's yelling in my background. Oh, no, I um, didn't. But <laughs> it, was fair. it was just a weird time to go silent. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, there was some yelling going on in my background. Um but yeah, just like I and I personally loved the last duel. I thought it was a great movie. But for him to blame it on millennials because they're stuck on their cell phones, eh, that's not the case. I mean, everyone's stuck to their cell phones and seeing all these Spider-Man ads and buying Spider-Man tickets. I don't think it has anything to do with millennials. I think he also throws in some like nobody wants to see original IP in there, right? Uh, I don't know if he says anything about that. I just saw that quote, which I just, the one I just said. Um, but that's right. Like, he might have said something about that. I th- I think he th- I think he takes a shot at superhero movies somewhere in there. So, oh, he did say something about superhero movies. I don't know if it was in the same interview. Right. Um, because he said this one on on Mark Maron's podcast. But yeah, he did trash Marvel Marvel movies a while ago. I don't disagree with him though. I think it is a millennial problem, not because of the phones thing but i mean you know take that or take it or leave it i, th- I that's some people think it's too much I, I can totally see that i think it's more that nobody the marvel criticism is more accurate i don't think as many people today this millennial j- generation the gen z generation are interested in a story like this like a medieval story you know yeah that's that's the kind of what i was yeah saying. i know I don't think people are interested in this that's story. that's what i'm saying so he's not wrong is what i'm saying this is not a story for millennials. Oh, fair. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, agree I think he was correct, but in the wrong way. Mm. Like his, th- his, I think he was more saying nobody wants to watch like a period or not, not a, even a period piece. Nobody wants to watch a drama. I think it's nobody wants to watch a period piece, but yeah, that said the movie did also dealing with heavy themes, right? Uh, especially right now, but you know this movie. I think was was it made during this one was before the pandemic came. Yes. Yeah, filmed before. House of Gucci was filmed during. Mm-hmm. So um, the way that it shook out for the box office was Halloween Kills came out that week, um, and then Venom had been two weeks before, right? The beginning of October. October 1st, yes. All right. And then No Time to Die was in its second week. Um, Shang-Chi was still there pulling in people that made $3 million that week. Like, And Dune came out the week after. Dune was the week after. Dune was yeah. the week after, yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, there were there are a lot of other big movies. And especially Halloween Kills. Like, millennials, if they're choosing between this period piece, The Last Duel, and Halloween Kills, they're probably going to see Halloween Kills. Right. Man, I that's weird. I did not. I felt like there was so much more time between The Last Duel and Dune. Nope. 
week after. I felt bad because I was one of the people that chose Halloween Kills over The Last <laughs> Duel. But yeah, like, but that, that proves his point. I, the thing is, like, I'm interested in that story, too, but I just... My, yeah, and it's definitely worth checking out. I, I do think it's a great movie. I guess. But, I don't know, I think it's just wrong timing, but not great marketing. And I guess Michael Myers has a bigger chokehold over me than Ridley Scott does. Mm-hmm. Um... I love Ridley Scott, though. I mean, I watched uh, Thelma and Louise last night just because I was like, Ridley Scott's been catching some strays recently. I need to <laughs> I need to remember why he's the goat. <laughs> uh, God, great movie that Jacob hasn't seen. Um, except for no, the ending. I'll get around to it. I did which watch is the, the worst sentence I had ever received. Um, he, uh, it was on TV once. And I just I didn't realize it was the ending. I was, so. This is not on the sheet, but I was looking through the Ridley Scott filmography, and he's got Black Hawk Down. Like, is a real outlier there. I feel like. Did he direct? He that? directed Black Hawk Down. Oh, I thought he just produced it. Mm-mm. And you know who else is in Black Hawk Down that I always forget is in Black Hawk Down? Tom Hardy. Oh. Yeah. I haven't seen any of those Down movies. That's the only one. No, there's multiple. There's like White House Down. No, that's that's not connected. That's not. <laughs> I swear, there's like multiple. Ah, you're of these. right. <laughs> you're right. Those aren't connected though. Oh really? Black, I thought they were. Black Hawk Down is based off a true story. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh no, dude! Black. They all just look like like destruction action movies. No, no, no. What I've seen. Black Hawk Down is a like seriously really good movie that you need to see. Black Hawk Down is like about um, it was uh, I think it was, it wasn't a war, but we were working in like it was the U.S. military was in Mogadishu because like it was like 1993 and it was something about like their government was being upset and there were all these militias and basically we were there to like protect this group of people and then a black hawk got shot down during this like routine mission and everything went to hell and like it's pretty good oh so not white house no 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 that shows my ignorance it won two oscars (laughs) oh i was also thinking about the fallen series too like olympus has fallen london has fallen all those so I got my movies mixed up. Ridley Scott got a Best Director nominee for it. Um, it's no, Ewan McGregor stars in it. Uh, Tom Sizemore's in it. William Fickner's in it. Tom Hardy. It's like his first real film role. It's it's all over the place, dude. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's very good. Um, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> that made my yeah, night. I felt dumb for saying that. Wow. Um, all right. Well, you can be smarter than all of us right here because you got to see Licorice Pizza. And I'm so mad. I'm smarter. I'm just luckier. <laughs> God, I'm so mad. Do you want to hear my thoughts? I do, but you be care. Just be careful here. Well, I'll yeah, I'll yeah. lay out I'm for you. Gonna, but be careful. I'm not gonna say anything. Spoiler, obviously. Um, yeah, I got the chance to see it in 70 millimeter in New York City. I went I went down with my friend. It was a, a crazy experience. I went to a Alamo for the first time. I don't know if there's any near you, but. It's my first time going to uh, Alamo Drafthouse Cinema, which if you don't know, there's like a bunch of these around the country and they're like super high end. Um, Waiters come to your seat and there's like a menu and you can order like drinks and food and they bring it right to you. 
it's like very like high quality, high end. Um, the tickets are a little bit pricier, but it's honestly so worth it. It's like a, it's an experience going there. Um, but yeah, so I saw Licorice Pizza. Um, I'll just say I, I loved it. It was awesome. It's definitely I think what everyone's expecting it to be. Um, I didn't think it was perfect. I, I did think it was a little all over the place at times. And there's not really a plot or a story. It's kind of just like sequences that happen uh, all at once. Um, but yeah, music's phenomenal. Acting's phenomenal. It, it felt a lot like Boogie Nights, which is great. It had that like energy to it. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I think this one's going to be a hit. It's, it's just great all around. It's very nostalgic in a way because it takes place in the 70s. Um, oh, and also when I was there, I don't know if I sent it to you, they had a little, a little arcade set up like, to promote the movie. So they had this, like, in the movie, there's like this uh, pinball store that they go to. That's like a big part of it. Um, but yeah, they had these like licorice pizza like pinball machines and these little arcade games set up. It was really cool just to like, promote the movie. Um, but yeah, overall, I love the movie. I can't wait for you to see it. can't wait for everyone else to see it. Um, it's definitely going to be a hit. Do you think, what do you think they do with those pinball machines when they're done with them? I don't know, but I wanted well, it. I was about to go up to the guy and be like, how much for this? I remember I was listening to um, the Rewatchables one time, the Bill Simmons, Sean Fennessy, Chris Ryan podcast. Um, and he was talking about, one time, they were talking about Blockbuster for some reason. And, you know, Blockbuster would used to get the big cutouts, right? And, like, mm. of, like, you know, a movie character or something. Like, yeah. uh, Jason one, I remember, would like, there's all, whenever there was a new Friday the 13th, there's a Jason standing by the door. Well, he was talking about mm. one time his roommate, his friend in college, like, they were going down to the Blockbuster and a new Halloween was coming out to rent and they were like, what do you do with that when you're done with it? And he was like, I don't know. We usually just like throw them away and he goes, can I have that? And he goes, if you leave your number <laughs> when we're done with it, I'll call you or someone here will call you. And they said, awesome. said one day they're just sitting around like watching TV and his friend gets up, picks up the phone and he goes, is it ready? <laughs> And then hangs up the phone and <laughs> runs out of the door and comes back with Michael Myers. Wow. So I wonder if you go to the like go back to the theater. Well, I guess the AMC the the Alamo Draft House might have different rules, but if you go back and you're like, "Hey, can I have one of these?" They might just be like, "Yeah." Maybe cuz these are obviously much more expensive and bigger than posters <laughs> pinball machines and arcade games Get and it was also like a, a one-time thing like there's only one of these in la and one of them in new york oh so. okay you said pinball machines i it made me think there were multiple well there are multiple but there's, there's, there's only one well there might be more than two i don't know but i know there was one in la and i know there was one in new york um, but there's probably other ones maybe at the other theaters because it was showing in three or two theaters in New York and two theaters in L.A. So it could be at all of them. I don't know. I just have a friend in L.A. who saw it and also showed the pinball machine. So there could be multiple of them, but who knows? Was uh, But I also know for posters and things for at theaters, they just like give them to the employees afterwards usually. Yeah, man. Away. I was, that's what I'm going to start doing is saying like, hey, can I have a poster? Yeah, because they'll totally give them away because they just throw them out. Um, I love when you like go to a movie early and they're giving away posters. Yeah, I got a sweet Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse one. Mm, more, that's awesome. more movies, especially now, need to start doing that. 
Yeah, I think it just depends on the the brand of the theater. Did when you saw French Dispatch, did your theater have like the big cutout with like all the characters in it? No, I think around that time it was the Eternals one that was out. Mine has had that cutout forever. It's huge. I I do not know how bad how big it is. I, well, let me tell you, the Eternal one. Is Eternals one's enormous. massive. Yeah. Yeah, because there's so many characters. But I I'm desperately want to ask for this French Dispatch cutout. Where are you going to put it? I don't know. It will not fit in my house. <laughs> I would have to keep it outside, I think. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a, it's a um, permanent Halloween decoration I'm, I'm for your house. I'm texting it to you right now. It's taller than me. Um, the picture wow. doesn't really do it justice. It's taller than six foot three. Uh, it is... For the French Dispatch, too. It's great. It's a great cutout. Uh... And it's, oh, wow. it's got yeah, that's everybody. Huge. Wow. Yeah, for the viewers, there's over, like, every single character is on this. Every single character. It's even got the ones they animated in. Um, they're in black and white if their story was in black and white. It's great. Wow. Yeah, I would definitely want that. <laughs> it's so cool. I don't know where I'd put it. <laughs> I don't know how I'd get in the door. <laughs> Yeah, that might be a, a permanent outside front lawn decoration. I'd build a roof for it so when it rains, it'd be okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that. I'm going to start asking for like promotional materials because I feel like that'd just be something so cool to have. Yeah, no, it is cool. Oh, dude, do, do, do you know where they uh, bring like the pinball machines and things like that? Probably to A24 since they're giving away all those antiques. They get the craziest shit. It's awesome. Yeah. A24 right now is just giving away like all these random antiques from random movies or, or um, uh, production companies that they have. And I don't know where they get these things from. They always are. They're yeah, they have like a, a, like a 1990 HBO ashtray. Like what? Where do you get this stuff? That H, uh, I sent it to you. A 2000s Oscar hat. That 2000s Oscar hat is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's an awesome logo. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Just there's no two ways about it. I need it. I wish it wasn't so expensive. How much is it again? I think the hat was 50 bucks. Where is it on their website? I'm checking right now. Dude, I'd pay $50 for that. Um, They had like a weird name for it. I forget. I'm on the uh, collectibles. Uh, uh, oh, vintage. Intermural Vintage. Yeah. Found it. Oh, no, it sold out. I'm sure there's only, like, one of them. I don't think it's just one. Oh, so it's $55. If it... I mean, these are so, like, old that I feel like they don't have that many of them. Was there just one of these? I would have bought that if I had known that. Maybe. Yeah, it was a 72nd Academy Awards hat. Go look up the logo, because this thing is beautiful. It's the greatest Oscars hat I've ever seen. The Memento hat is pretty sweet, too. Yeah. This is not... Oh, the Silence of the Lambs pen. This is terrible, just audio <laughs> entertainment. It's I mean, us. Yeah, go, go look up the shop. It's, it's just Shops.a24.com slash collections slash vintage. It's just us They just have, like, the it. most random stuff. Like, they have an eight-mile hat. Where do you get that? Yeah, man. It's, cr- it's the Warner Brothers Studio VIP Tour hat, Gattaca hat. It's It's unreal. They must just have these stuff laying around the office. I don't like, know how they Wait, can... we should sell these. A, where do you get a 1988 Cannes Film Festival tee? <laughs> what? 
Or a blockbuster duffel bag. That blockbuster duffel bag was sweet. Yeah, for sixty bucks. Honestly, not bad. What did you think about the Armani Scorsese scarf? That's just his fucking face, his eyes and his nose. Oh, I must have missed it. Oh, there it is. Wow. It's a great scarf. That's a scarf. It's a great scarf. Thanks, it's Armani. What's the design? Scorsese's eyes and nose. <laughs> 85 bucks. Oh, man. Um, That's just fucking fantastic. And speaking of small indie movies, Dune is coming back to IMAX. <laughs> yes, it passed uh, 100 mil domestic. It took a while for that to happen. When did it pass it? I think recently, um, but I th- honestly thought it was fast in today's time. Mm, Venom did it faster. Well, yes, but Dune is not a Marvel. Movie. Why is neither is Venom? I mean, it is, but it isn't. Why is Venom our tentpole right here? Like Eternals didn't even do that. It's unreal. Venom just it hit a sweet spot. I don't know what it was, it, but it just boomed. It was a perfect moment in time that could not be yeah. replicated. I really can't. Spider-Man's going to be the only one to beat it, I think. Uh, I w- Spider-Man will probably beat its overall gross in uh, uh, a week, a weekend. The only one I can think besides Spider-Man is maybe West Side Story. No, maybe. no, no, no. Stop that right now. There are so many West Side Story fans out there. There are, but they're all 80, so um, true, it's going to be hard true. to get there. Good point. <laughs> Good point. That and, like... Musical theater nerds, which there's nothing wrong with that, but I think they're more typically to go to a theater. Yeah, good point. So yeah, only Spider Man's really going to be Venom, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, Dune's back. I'm probably going to go see it again this weekend in IMAX. I'm excited. I I don't I don't know if I will go see it again. I think I need to. There's there's something else out right now that I need to go see. I didn't I didn't see Ghostbusters this weekend, man. I'm upset with mm. myself. Well, I can go into what I've seen uh, this past week, yeah, w- or two weeks, I guess. We can do that. We can definitely do that. Um, yeah, I saw a decent amount. Um, started off, I saw two weeks ago, which actually came out today on Netflix, is The Power of the Dog. Oh, fuck. I, didn't, I forgot that came out today. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I thought it was really great. It's a very slow Western, and I usually hate slow Westerns, but this one was really, really good. Um, it does this thing where it doesn't reveal what it is or what the story is until like the last five minutes of the movie and then it all clicks and goes into place and you kind of have to like it's one of those ones you want to rewatch to like catch all the hints of what was happening the whole time um so yeah that one was really good uh phenomenal acting johnny greenwood did the the score he was incredible as always cinematography is great definitely worth checking out um i also saw finch (laughs) tom hanks good old finch um honestly it wasn't bad wasn't great it was it was pretty mediocre it's probably what i expected it to be um special effects are really cool like what they did for the robot honestly really well done there's one scene where tom hanks is hugging the robot and i don't know how they pulled that off because the robot looks so realistic when he's hugging him um but it's obviously not real because the robot's moving and talking and stuff um yeah it's a solid one so it's on apple if you're bored you can check it out um I saw The Humans. I saw that on Showtime. Um, it wasn't playing near me in theaters. Um, the Humans was really interesting. It was an A24. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Steven. I'm blanking on his last name. I, I don't. Mi- Minari. Oh. What? 
Oh, Stephen Yoon. From an art. Yoon, right? Stephen Yoon. Sorry. Um, yes, he was the star. Um, oh, I remember that movie now. Yeah. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on everyone's name in that movie. Jonah Hill's sister. Beanie Feldstein. Dude, you're yes. terrible at this game. <laughs> yeah, this is really bad. Sorry, I'm blanking. Um, but yeah, it's based off a play. I think the guy who wrote the play also directed this. Um, honestly, very terrifying. They shot it like a horror movie, and I think it was intended on being like slightly horror-ish. Um, but it was very scary and also very depressing at the same time. Um, really good. Uh, definitely worth checking out. The performances are incredible. But yeah, it's shot in like all in one location in this creepy. Uh, not even they make it creepy, but it's just like an old rundown NYC apartment or almost any NYC apartment. But they do a great job of showing how like shitty these New York City apartments actually are, yeah. and they make it like a horror, like with all like the creaks and like it's, like the bulges coming out from the wall or leaks or whatever. And yeah, there's jump scares in it. Like it's it's actually a horror movie. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's it's mostly besides the horror aspect, it's a human drama. They're just talking about family issues it and things like that. Literally, only says it's a drama. I'm telling you, man, it's horror. Look up reviews. It's it's horror. It looks like everybody's eating a Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe yeah. Maybe that's just more about you than. I'm telling you, man, I was reading reviews and people were freaking out. So mm. it wasn't just me. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that one's definitely horror slash family drama. Um, but yeah, moving on from that one. Is Amy Schumer in this movie? She is. And honestly, she gave a great performance. I'm not a fan of hers at all, but she killed it. She knocked it out of the park for this role. I was shocked. Huh. She nailed it. Interesting. Um, yeah, great performances by everyone in that movie. Yeah, fantastic. Um, then I saw another A24 movie in theaters, Come On, Come On, uh, which was honestly w one of the best of the year. This movie was incredible. Um, Joaquin Phoenix and the newcomer, who I'm sorry again, I don't know his name, <laughs> the kid. Um, he was, I think he was 12 years old. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. His name is was directed by Mike Mills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Woody Norman. Woody Norman. All right. That's uh, he was incredible. Um, really great. Um, but yeah, it's basically just a, a story about um, Joaquin and his niece, and they're just not sorry nephew, and they're just going out and uh, talking about life oh. from perspective of a fifty-ish-year-olds and a twelve-year-old. Um, but it's really, really well done. Definitely worth checking out. Jo Joaquin going for another Oscar here. Yes, 100%. His acting is really great here. Um, and yeah, then the last movie... I was, oh, sorry. No, that was it for movies. And then one more thing I just wanted to mention was I binged the TV series or miniseries Dope Sick this past week, mm -hmm. um, which was really good with Michael Keaton, Will Poulter, um, Rosario Dawson, some others. Um, but yeah, really, really well done. I didn't know much about the whole opioid um epidemic that was happening that's kind of still happening right now um but oh my god the sackler family man they're like literally nazis it's it's insane what they've done to this world it's, it's it just blows my mind how they got away with it um but yeah it's definitely a hard watch but i think people should be informed about the horrors they've done to this world because it's insane um that's a it, that got profound there at the end 
Yeah, man. I mean, I had no idea how like how much they impacted the world. Like they got yeah. so many people addicted on opioids. Um. Yeah. And ultimately killed a shit ton of people. Yes, indeed. Uh, Sad. Yeah. Sorry to end it there, but yeah, I saw a lot this past two weeks. I am going. Uh, I'm, all very well done. I'm not gonna make it much better of a mood. Um, I watched House of Gucci, of course, and then I also saw this movie called Chungking Express. It's a Chinese mm. movie. Uh, about it's about two different policemen in Hong Kong. This was in 1994, not Hong Kong policemen now. Um, mm. <laughs> that was Good. a bad joke. Oh, that was terrible. It wasn't really a joke. Uh, more of an observation. And it's just about like one, like a couple weird nights that they have with these two women that they meet. But they're separate stories. Like the movie is split in half, like directly in half. It's pretty good. Um, then I watched Thelma and Louise, as I mentioned, which is just a freaking classic. It's so good. Yeah. Two, two, uh, the best. Uh, yeah, two of the best female performances ever, I think, probably. And they both got nominated. Old. They both got nominated for Oscars, which like d- never happens. They both got nominated for lead. Mm, and yeah, that's rare. The only reason they lost is because Silence of the Lambs came out, and Jodie Foster decided to throw a perfect game. Like, mm, um, tough to beat. Then to end it on another note, I decided it was finally time for me to watch Contagion. Oh, I, I the whole time I was sitting there and I was like, "We knew, we knew this is gonna. It's what happens." It's what I happens. I, I watched it recently too, like uh, a couple months ago, and it's kind of like terrifying to watch. It's what happened. Yeah. There's they wear masks. They're like everybody wear a mask when you go outside. Well, that one was a little worse because it could spread through like anything, like airborne touch. Right. Um. So it was definitely a lot worse of a virus, but still. But just like seeing what happened and just being like, "Wow, this actually happened." And it started with a bat. Yeah. Yeah. That's also true. It, it, yeah, that movie is just, like, very freaky to watch now. But, I don't know, Sodenberg just, like, he knew. He just knew what was going to happen. I, um, I mean, they, the, the mask thing, they said social distance in the movie. They said social distance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Everybody, they're like, everybody needs to stay inside until we can find a vaccine. And I was like, fuck. And then I think... I it, mean, obviously viruses have happened before. Right. And they, they obviously base it off this. But it still is very eerie it's to just, watch, it's, especially in the COVID era that we're in right now. And then, like, um, they were talking about, like, I think at one point they even talked about, like, the vaccine doesn't... They're like, somebody's like, the vaccine doesn't stop it. It just makes the sy- symptoms less bad. Like, mm-hmm. just the whole thing people don't... The anti-vax shit started by one yeah. guy who lives in his basement, like... I was like, what is going on? They had everything it's in that movie. Crazy. And I guess it was that come out in 2011? Yeah. Right? It's a, I guess it was just an amalgamation of all like different incidents that we've had and they were like, let's just make this on a global scale. Cuz yeah. anti-vaccine stuff has been around forever since Jenny McCarthy yeah. had a platform um, <laughs> and like, you know, that's those con- types of conspiracies have been around forever. It's it's insane. It was wild. Um, um wait, uh one more thing on that movie. Before we move on, um, this is a spoiler, but what did you think about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow dying in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie? I was super confused. I was like, well, when she got sick, I was like, okay, well, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then I yeah. was like, all right, well, we she's on the poster. She's top build. Interesting yeah. choice here. 
uh yeah it's, it's definitely so wild just to see like a top billed actor like that especially like when it came out and like all the marketing was behind her yeah. and everything and she just dies immediately in the first five minutes well luck- and that's how you know you're like oh shit we're getting into this this is real i mean but luckily they had Lawrence fishburne matt damon and jude law to carry the weight oh, yeah. and kate winslet like it's not this movie's not lacking star power right elliot gould but still it was still very shocking marion cotillard cotillard yeah. Annette. Yeah, great cast. <laughs> Known for Annette and not definitely not Inception of the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Known for Annette. Annette and only Annette. She I this is such a tangent. I always forget that she is um that she plays what's her name? Talia in the Dark Knight Rises. Because her hair yeah, her is never like that. Small. Long. Well, it's not even that. Her, her hair is long and it's always short and like she just doesn't mm. look like herself. It's weird. Yeah, in a way. She does have a unique face, though. She does. Great French actress. Love some French. Some French actress. Act- actress, actress, French film. Um, yeah, man. Contagion. French cinema. Yeah. Contagion was terrible, but really, really good. <laughs> it was yeah. It's freaky. Oh, man. Uh, that's, that's the last thing I watched. Besides... Our movie of the week, There Will Be Blood, which we will get to when we come back from this break. Hey everybody, it's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1, and they... Uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. Uh, they have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. We are back, and it is time to talk about There Will Be Blood. Oh, buddy. Let me tell Jacob, you, you tell there me? is oh, some yeah. blood. There is blood. Not as much blood as yeah, you think. Yeah, that much. Title, but there's blood. There's a little bit. All right. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about who's in this movie and who made it? Sure. Well, since we were talking about it earlier this episode, it is the Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, he wrote yeah, wrote and directed this. Uh, it stars the infamous Daniel Day-Lewis, who is known to get seriously into his roles he is like the method actor besides jared leto um yeah he's daniel plainview the main character and he is siding with paul dano who i also love shout out he's from connecticut so shout out paul dano he's from where i'm from um who plays paul sunday which i just realized that their names their characters names are the same names i had something on this yeah um keep going sorry and then, yeah, I also give a shout-out to uh, Dylan Frazier, who plays H.W., who is Daniel Day-Lewis's kid in this movie, um, which I, I was looking him up because I'm like, I wonder what this guy's doing nowadays. This was his only movie he's ever been in. 
Isn't that crazy? Who? Wait, what? Dylan Frazier, the kid. HW. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they just, like, found him. Too. Well, so I was reading up, like, how how they find this kid. Like, he's obviously not an actor. This is his only role. And he said his mother, um, Dylan Frazier's mother, is a traffic cop, a policeman, and pulled over the film's casting director for speeding. Mm-hmm. And they started talking and suggested that his son play the role. And that's how he got the role. Imagine... Uh, you get in a role because some dude tried to talk his way out of a scene. Yeah, right? And there were people auditioning for this, too, and this guy just didn't want to get it, have to pay a fine. Mom, like, what happened right. today? Oh, I got pulled over, but I got you this role in this big movie. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. You're going to be... <laughs> You're going to be in one of the most well-known movies of all time. <laughs> and you're going to like it. Yeah, wild. Um, but yeah, this is a story of family, religion, hatred, oil, and madness. Focusing on a turn-of-the-century prospector in his early days of business. So, yes, that is exactly what it is. Um, it's a pre- it's as, as succinct as a description as it gets. Um, there's a ton of praise for this movie. Uh, a ton of people calling it a perfect movie. I think it is, but not everybody does. And so that's why I am pulling from Roger Ebert today. Out of four stars, he gave it 3.5. That's a, that's a deep, deep, deep shot for Raj there. There Will Be Blood is the kind, I'm quoting him now, is the kind of film that is easily called great. I am not sure of its greatness. It was filmed in the same area of Texas used by No Country for Old Men, and that is a great film and a perfect one. Mm. But There Will Be Blood is not perfect, and in its imperfection, like its unbending characters, its lack of women, or any reflection of ordinary society, its ending, its relentlessness, we may see its reach exceeding its grasp, which is not a dishonorable Mm. thing. I don't agree with Raj. I mean... I think the general reception, like this movie is known to be one of the best movies of all time. Like when you see the right. all time list, there will be blood is usually in there somewhere. Um, right. It won the Oscar best picture, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie, I mean, yeah, I think it's almost perfect. Like this, this movie is incredible in so many ways, but I do under, it didn't win best picture. What won? We did this. We did. This is the reason we did this. It, no country for old. Oh people. right, right. I, I always got them confused. <laughs> um, which is funny that Robert Ebert uh, mes- men- mentioned No Country in his review. Yeah, I mean, we can get it. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's one of the best known. But what do you think about calling it imperfect? I mean, this movie is very jarring. I feel like it. It is. But in the, in the same sense, it is kind of like as drawing as no country. Like it, it's very long. It's um, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot of depth to everything. Um, I don't I don't know. If, I mean, I totally understand why people can say it's imperfect. Like I know people who think this movie is like way too long and sometimes boring in some parts and the pacing's off. Um, but yeah, to me, this is it's it is very close to perfect. Um, I, my review of this on Letterboxd was just like Charles Foster Kane clapping gif. Just that you haven't seen freaking Citizen Kane. It's that black, you've seen this gif that's Orson Welles in black and white going 
I've seen Citizen Kane. I thought you said you hadn't. No, I've seen it. I have to watch it in school. I can't keep. I can't keep up with what classics you have and have not seen. <laughs> no, I've definitely um, seen Citizen Kane multiple times. Okay, s- sorry. God, great Come movie. On. We'll do it one day. Um, this is a lot like Citizen Kane in a lot of ways. It's uh, a take on American capitalism and American greed, and it's about one guy whose only goal in life is to make as much money as possible and be as successful mm. as possible, and he does not care what gets in his way okay yeah because i was gonna say um, visually not at all no no no. but yeah no, thematically no. yeah i understand where you're coming from with that it is a total no just like yeah both of them are an analysis on uh th- this is a weird phase for pta or it's a very different phase for him like heart eight boogie nights and magnolia are their own sorts of sort of movies you know this movie definitely like, stands out in its whole filmography to me right and so, he, this is uh, hang on, I'm I'm pulling up the filmography. He is um, it's it's like he's he's looking at different parts of culture, American culture around this time that he's making these movies. Um, so he does Heart Eight, and then I have it up for he you. He does Boogie Nights. Well, I know. I what? What do you mean? I, I know. Um, what I'm what but what I'm saying is like <laughs> he he does punch drunk love after his first three movies, which are all just kind of looks into different like I don't know styles of living, you know. Mm. I guess like uh, different breakdowns of different parts of a you know Hard Eight's a Vegas movie, Boogie Nights is in a nightlife like isn't it L A based movie, and Magnolia is obviously an analyzation an analysis of three of, of, of a bunch of different stories all happening in the same area. But then he does punch struck love, which I think is a look into like what people will do for love and what loneliness makes people do. And then there will be blood, which is him covering American capitalism and covering religion and the master, which is obvious, which is analyzing, you know, better like. I'll say the master is probably like the that. most similar to this movie. I feel like. Yeah, right. But you, you sh- and then he does, and then he does like the Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza, and it's different like periods that he's looking at now. And this this three movie run that he has in the middle mm-hmm. is a little bit different than anything he's done for. Punch Drunk Love is not like anything he had done before. No. There will be blood. Isn't like anything he has done before or since. The master is cl- is probably closest to it, but y- you know what I'm trying to also, get. Also, yeah, I feel like this movie is definitely his most like serious too. Like all his mm-hmm. movies before this have been super funny and very lively and electric and fun. Yeah, and fun. This this movie is the complete opposite of that. This is not a. It is a great movie, and I I think it's rewatchable. It's not fun. It's not a fun no. watch. <laughs> I think that it does have up. those like moments of like dark humor, like sprinkled in yeah. throughout. But it's not it's not the same as his, his older movies. Um, but one quick note, I gotta say, Licorice Pizza. Back to that was one of his funniest movies. I think he's ever made. Like I'm it's excited. so freaking funny. So he definitely went back to his roots um, for that movie. But yeah, this this movie does. Yeah, super serious. He does comedy well when he wants mm-hmm. to, but. The, the, it's super serious and it 
it's it's weird. It starts off and like you you're looking at plain view at Daniel Day Lewis's character with like kind of a side eye, almost. Um, and you're in you're the not, beginning. You don't trust him. Yeah, I think when he takes this baby, I don't know. Maybe not. It's when he's doing the pitches that I'm like. It, it, he does the same pitch twice. I don't much. know. Identical to pitches. To me, well, one, the opening scene in general, I think is one of like one of the best opening scenes ever done. I think it's great. It does such a great job of like setting up the rest of the film without saying one word of dialogue. There's like maybe some like grunting or, or whatever, but there's like, no dialogue I'll, throughout, which is incredible. And it, you, it gets you hooked immediately. You just want to know what happens next. But for his care, I hate a. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say I hate a leg break in a movie. Ooh. I can't look at yeah, it. Yeah, that's hard to watch. And it's a good one in here. Yeah. It's a good one in here. Yeah, oh. that's that whole opening scene. To me, that that showed me to his character that he was like a very hardworking man. He would do whatever he wants. Right. I like I trusted him for the most part. He seemed to be a good leader in that sense. Um, he would do anything to get the job done. He to me it showed like I was like, gaining respect for him almost the whole time. And then he like he, then to see the the adopted son and he took it in like it showed that he was caring he was like almost like a father, like I thought it was setting you up to be good almost and then you learn about his dark side going on. Yes, but they also show that well here's the thing with the adoption is he I think the first instance of him like showing that he always has his presence of mind first and puts himself first is when he pours whiskey on the baby bottle to get it to stop crying. Mm. Because his peace of, peace of mind is more important than whatever this baby needs right now. Right, yeah, but it's, it's kind of subtle. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't do that as a dad, but that, that is yeah. still very subtle, you know. But, and then it builds we up. see that again. We see that again later when he puts whiskey... And HW's milk, mm-hmm. so that he will go to bed and he can go off with his new brother. Yeah. It's he does throughout the whole thing. He's thinking about how he can promote his business better, and then he even he uses HW as a prop. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like over time, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Over time, it, right. it just gets worse and worse, and you see, like I think the beginning is supposed to almost misguide you. And so, like, you see kind of his good side a little bit, and then you slowly learn that he's only doing this for, for himself or for his business or whatever. I understand that, but also towards the end, I start rooting for him more, I think. Like the way end? Ex- un- until what? Until the, like, you mean the way end? Like the bowling? Until the, ver- until the very end. Until the final confrontation with HW after the time jump. By the way, one of the but greatest which- bowling scenes, I think, ever in a movie. <laughs> this is a bowling movie. Save that. Save. <laughs> but it does compete. He's really good. It does compete with the Big Lebowski bowling scene. I was about to get to that. We'll save that. Okay. We'll save that. Um, but when he's in Little Boston, and Paul Dano, who's at actually Eli Sunday, mm-hmm. not Paul Sunday. Paul Sunday's his brother. Which I also, when the first time I watched it, it got me confused. I thought it was the same person. I didn't realize they look the same. Well, because it is the same person. Yeah. It's him. Is it? Him? He plays both. Yeah. That's why I knew I yeah. was. I knew I wasn't an idiot. No, yeah, he plays. Both. I knew I wasn't an idiot. No, that was totally Eli. Okay, I thought I was dumb for a second. Okay, he is. Yeah. Both. Yeah, the, the, right. <laughs> the identical. But yeah, that's I why it got me confused at okay. first. Because I'm like, wait a minute, did we just see this character? Why is he acting differently? But then it, it clicked for me. Right. 
I was like, oh, it's his brother. The first time I watched that, I thought it was them being like sneaky, like, oh, you know, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Mm. And then when they did the name change, I was like, okay, it must have been two different actors. Yeah. But no, yeah, same. But way. um, but where was I going? You, I wanted him to win over because Eli's an ass. At the end. No, not at the end. I'm talking about in the middle. Like, you, we talk about how it's a twisted sense of humor. I start thinking things are funny that Daniel Day-Lewis starts like thinks are funny in the movie, but they're they're not funny. You know, like the shit he does. Like when he's like, "I want to bless this like oil rig," and he goes, "Okay." He goes, "Yeah, call me a son of these hills," and um, you know, and and let me come up and bless yeah. it. And then he calls up his sister and says she's a daughter of these hills and does the blessing himself. Yeah. I'm like, that's a pro move. That is hilarious. Like, Yeah, but you know? I feel like in the same sense as Daniel Plainview's character, you see him first as like this pure, innocent, nice guy, and then you slowly kind of learn his like narcissistic ways as it goes through. And you start to right. learn his dark and side. If you think about it, this movie is... It's pretty much capitalism versus religion, which are two major themes of American society. And it's Paul Thomas Anderson looking at that and, like, the way they interact with each other in our country, I think, right? Mm. Like, Yeah, because the there's one line that um, Paul Dano's character says at the end during the, the whole bowling scene when he's, like, how when he was like complaining about how God didn't um, make him aware of all him. these or warn him of all these things that were going to happen. <laughs> one of them mm-hmm. was, like, how did he not warn me about this economic uh, crash that was going to happen? The great, it's the Great Depression, yeah. yeah and it's like, how is God going to uh, warn you about that, bro? <laughs> you stockbroker? And it's... Exactly. And, it's, like, um, it's so selfish when he says that. Yeah, and I think it's him when it gets to that point, if you don't realize it already, that's Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't know his background with the church, but it sounds like he's being... He's kind of saying a lot of these churches are really just out for their own interests and feeding you. Oh yeah. What they definitely takes a little style of religion. Yeah. It's a hundred percent that way. And it's also him saying like capitalism makes people greedy. That's, uh, that's oh, yeah. exactly. I think that's the one of the main so, themes of the movie. And I love that he named his main character, Daniel Plainview, even though he does nothing in plain view. Like he's, <laughs> you know, point. like he's so behind the scenes, like, conniving it's great it's it's such a a well put together and well thought out movie and it were every level of it works i think every point that he's trying to make comes across so clearly and like none of the themes or symbols that he was trying that that he wanted people to get are are hidden Mm. you know it's not like the english class were like your teacher has to be like, oh, the curtains are blue, so that means she's sad. It's like, he's like, I'm going to name this guy Plainview, but he's really shady as fuck. Yeah. But yeah, ba- back to my point like, before. So I'm saying, like, they, they start him out as this wholesome guy, and you just slowly learn mm-hmm. his inner his inner workings, I guess. Uh, and I love another, it's like, not only is the preacher super greedy, but he also is super vindictive and vengeful. And when he gets this small sliver of power over our main character, he's going to beat the hell out of him in front of his church and call it a baptism. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and, you know, speaking of that, though, there's, like, three moments in this movie where Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano 
our I, I in our outline I compared it to like an NBA finals. Like um, like if we had gotten like LeBron guarding Kobe in the NBA finals and everybody clears out and just watches it. They're just going toe to toe and it's amazing because Paul in Dano is still ability. Yeah. He's pretty young when he does this movie. He you know, oh, yeah. he's definitely doesn't have the resume of Daniel Day Lewis. Well yeah, like while watching this, especially this time, I was I was just thinking the whole time like props to Paul Dano for being able to keep oh up God. with Daniel Day Lewis throughout this whole thing. How how do you have the balls to look at Daniel Day Lewis yeah. like giving you one of the greatest performances in movie history, and I don't feel any reserves about saying that at all. And he is, and Paul Dano is looking him in his eyes like, you know what? This is my moment too. <laughs> like, it's like watching it's, this and seeing Daniel Day Lewis's eyes, just watching his eyes, you could just—it's not Daniel Day Lewis. It's literally Daniel no. the entire time. Ooh. It's so good. It it gives me chills to think about it. And like it's all and you know Dale Day Lewis is obviously known like he does the method acting mm-hmm. thing. Like he gets into it. I think a little bit of him when he's getting so frustrated with Paul Dano is him also thinking like who the fuck is this guy who thinks he can go toe to toe with me? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Right? Like you know he's got like he says Daniel like Daniel Plainview says I don't want anyone else to win. I only want me to win. And that's how he went after this movie. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I could totally see that. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, props to Paul I, Dano, he, man, because keeping up with Daniel Day-Lewis is like an impossible task. And he's had a hell of a career since then, too. He is so good at playing creepy fuckers. And oh, also, terrifying. again, back to the, the bowling scene at the end, that whole like confrontational scene, like the milkshake scene, it was like a lot of it was one shot. Like they stayed on one mm-hmm. that side profile of both of them for like two minutes, and like that really shows how both of them how they were so in depth into their character they didn't break at all. It was a perfect performance for two minutes. He is, uh, they're, they're masters in that scene, oh. um, and he's just so like you see the like sniveling like little like actual you know, wuss that this guy is come out in that scene. He, when he has that, the first time I think they really go toe to toe and it's really impressive is that baptism scene. And that's the only real moment in With the movie Daniel where, yeah. right. That's the only real moment in the movie where Eli has the upper hand over Daniel. Cause he knows Daniel has to do this to like, get the lamb that yeah. he wants. And that's honestly that's one of my favorite quotes in the movie too when Daniel uh, Day-Lewis is going like, my boy, I've abandoned my boy. Oh man, that hits you so yeah. hard every single time. Because he really feels powerless in that scene and Eli feels on top mm-hmm. of the world. And it's just the two, like, they're just Yeah, the power dynamic between both heads, of them. Yeah. Just going at it and then it flips. Mm-hmm. The other way around for I Drink Your Milkshake, and it's still about that same piece of land. And it's it's Paul Dano going at him, but in a, like, in terms of acting ability, but in a different way. And it, like, because he does so, he gets so good at being, like, oh, well, we're such good friends. And, like, oh, man, like, I can't actually hurt you. Like, you know, I'm powerless here. I'm just asking you to do this for me because I helped you out. And all Daniel Day-Lewis is thinking, like, is, like, this guy embarrassed me. One time. One time he beat me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to crush his skull with a bowling pin. <laughs> yeah, like, Eli literally went from being, like, 
feeling on top of the world, powerful, to dead by the end of the movie. It's great. Because mm-hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis is needed, or Daniel Plainview is needed to get his way, always. And then uh, he conquers the person who has been plaguing him for the entire movie. And what does he say to his butler when he walks up to him? I'm finished. Yeah, another one of and my favorite lines. Gets, cuts to black. Because he... It's yeah. great. He just he feels like satisfied with everything. Not only that, but he's finished. He just murdered somebody. He's finished. You know. So so going he's off done of that. Ki- right, go ahead. Go ahead first. Okay. Well, I was just gonna. He's done killing Eli. He's beaten Eli. <laughs> he won the oil war in Little Boston, and his career's over. He's going to jail. He murdered Eli. Maybe he's going to jail. Who knows? I don't know. I, he probably stays yeah, out of it. He gets but- out of it somehow. He's a businessman. But his business probably isn't as good, you know. I'm finished. That's that's what people say, mm. like when like the business tanks, you know. Oh fuck, I'm, I'm finished. We're finished. Right. Yeah, definitely multiple ways to take that. But uh, yeah. what I was gonna ask you, this might seem like a crazy question, but I don't know. I'll see what you think. Do you think Daniel Plainview is besides besides the murder part <laughs> is a good guy at heart? No. Interesting. Okay. What what would make you think he is? Well, well, to me, like, obviously he's a sociopath and a narcissist and a murderer of, of all that. I'm not saying he's, like, a, a, a great guy or a good guy. But I feel <laughs> like, like, I, I wrote this down when I was watching it this time, that I feel like all, all the stuff he was doing about, like, when he cares about his adopted son and but he or, or the, the fake brother, but that he only really uses them when they're useful to him. And he kind of really treats his relationships like their their business because that's all he really knows. And I feel like everything else, like all, like that's why the beginning scene was so impactful, is because that's all that's all he is. Like he's just a businessman. He doesn't know anything about like himself really or like his vulnerable side at all. So I feel like any any time where his stuff tried to get personal it was like his defense mechanism almost. Like he was he was like using it to protect himself from being like hurt by other people, you know. And, like, that's why he, like, hates the religion and hated Eli for the most of it because religion is all about, like, being, like, vulnerable and giving yourself, like, to the whim of something else, you know? It's, like, God or whatever, um, someone other than yourself. So I feel like... God or whatever. I mean, <laughs> multiple gods, whatever religion it is. I know? know, I know, I know, I um, know. That's just a very funny <laughs> sentence. But, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he was, he was kind of using it as a defense mechanism because that, he's just a businessman at heart, and that's all he knows. There's, like, there's no, like... There's no really himself. There's no Daniel Plainview side of him. There's just Mr. Daniel Plainview, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just another way to think I about still, it, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think he has any good at him <laughs> at all. I'd put him on a top villains list. He's a villain. He is. He is literally a mustache twirling villain, because like, the the only I, he adopts this kid, right? Mm-hmm. You'd think he'd have some real attachment to him. I don't think he ever really does. I don't know because that one he shows a he shows a little bit of it in the church when he says, "My boy, I've abandoned my boy." But then when the the other time he gets really mad about it is when the guy is at the meeting. They're at the meeting together, and the guy's like, "Oh, well, you dumped your kid in the school or mm-hmm. whatever," and it's it's not like well, that I think it was more of an ego thing. It's it's an ego mm-hmm. thing. It all is an ego thing. He dumps H.W. off at this school because, oh, I have a brother now. It can still be a family business. And he is easier to put in front of people than my embarrassing deaf son. 
right? Yeah. Like, this looks better. This is more, This uh, uh, having a deaf, disabled son is weak. I am not weak. I'm going to use my brother. The own. And then. Yeah, go ahead. What? Well, and then he takes, he brings H.W. back after he murders his fake brother, which, by the way, murdered a dude and left him in the woods. Not very empathetic. <laughs> um, because he did have a bond with this guy, whether or not it was based off a real thing. They did form a bond. Like. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like in the beginning, like. The train scene when when they're going when uh, Daniel Plainview and his son are, are going into I don't know some town. It's like in the way beginning, right after the opening scene. There's a there's mm-hmm. a connection there. Like you see it. D- like Daniel Plainview is so happy, just like staring at his son a- and playing with him. You know, like is I felt he, a connection there. Is he happily thinking about his son or being like, oh fuck, I can make so much money off? Of I this don't. Little. I don't think he was thinking as a, like a business opportunity yet. I think he was looking at it like as like a pure father-son moment but then immediately right after that he starts to like learn his son's potential and getting more into the oil business and all that and that's and that's when it all happens but he clearly doesn't have that strong of a connection with him if he can spitefully tell him at the end you're not my son yeah but but also that i think back to what i was saying before is a defense mechanism like he just didn't want to connect with his son at all even he might have been thinking well, it deep down, but he just he was at that time he was just no he didn't want to get vulnerable like that. It's 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 not even that too. It's also like his son says like I just want to go have something for myself. He says I want to do this and then I'll come back. He says he'd come mm, back. Yeah. He just misses working outside and he wants to try and run his own rig and then he'll come back. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Plainview says I have competition in me. I don't want anyone else to have anything. Mm-hmm. He says, all right, you're my competitor yeah, now. Yeah, that's a pride thing. Pride, ego. And that's what I'm saying. It, But he's aware of it. He is aware of it. That makes him a bad person. I don't think he has any good in him. Okay, fair enough. Uh, he, he, somebody dies in the oil well in the middle of the night. Who knows? Who knows about this? Yeah, I, I just think, I think PTA just has more than like, that this guy was just like a bad like i think he was trying to show some good in him at least a little bit like he wanted to show right. a little bit of both sides but yeah obviously he's a sociopath narcissist um is there anything better than characters who have the same first name as their actors yeah i mean i think he, they did that on purpose <laughs> I love it. so they could get more into their character i'm sure it helps um Man, when they're just, I, I love it when it works out that way, though, even if it's not on purpose. Just, I feel like this time it was on purpose. I don't think. Probably. Yeah. But it just makes me smile because when they're like, Daniel, I'm like, that's his name. Yeah. I'm like, it's one of those it things where you like, get in character. you elbow your friend in the movie theater, you're like, hey, that's his real name. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, man. Um, it's it's one of my favorite little things in movies, even if they name it after him. Uh, Paul Dano, I said this earlier, really good at creepy fuckers. Oh, yeah. Really good at playing creepy fuckers. That's why fuckers. I'm so excited for him and the Riddler, the Batman. Well, I was going to say first, Prisoners. Oh, Holy yeah. hell. Mm. Ooh. That movie is... This is the heebie-jeebies. Life, ooh, life-changing movie. But yes, Edward Nashton instead of Edward Norton. Edward Nigma is what his name is. Edward Norton. Edward Nigma. Edward Norton, yeah. Uh, I keep doing that. Um, I've, d- I've done that in my own head multiple <laughs> times recently. Um, 
Edward Enigma. You get it? Enigma? Haha, <laughs> like a question? Mm-hmm. Get it? Um, I bet we're going to find out that his name is actually Edward Enigma or something, or he changes <laughs> it. But um, he looks amazing in it already. He looks, just from the trailers, I don't think he said a word, and they haven't shown his face. He just, his body. I remember, have you seen the most recent trailer? Um, no, I don't think so. I saw the first trailer. You should you should just watch the opening of it. Just the first, like, 20 seconds. It's just cops, like, coming into this diner and taking Paul Dano away. And then the camera pans over his coffee cup. And it's just a question mark in it. Mm. It's, it's, you you see Paul Dano's face for maybe a second. But his body language and, like, his costume design, you're just like, oh, fuck, this guy's weird. Like, it's, it's he so good. He is very good. good at playing creepy people. It's such a great casting. It's such a great casting. Uh, and honestly, I don't um, know if you saw his directing debut, Wildfire, which I think he wrote as well. Mm. Um, very great movie. I loved it. He's definitely a, really? a great director, too. And he stars in that movie, Did too. he? I was about to ask. Wildlife. Yep, Wildlife. Did I say Wildfire? Yes. There, oh, Gyllenhaal's in this? Yeah, it's great. Um, oh, shit. There are a bunch of Wildfires in it, which is why I said Wildfire. But <laughs> yes, it's, wildfire. Got a, it's got good reviews. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. I liked it a lot. Um, but yeah, he was huh. incredible in that. It shows he's not just an actor, but a great director as well. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry Mulligan, great. Paul Dano is on my like list of like people I'm very interested in. He is a fascinating guy. Shout out Connecticut. <laughs> he was on the uh, all those Deacons <laughs> podcast recently too. All all those weird fuckers from Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, is this Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie? <sighs> okay, well, personally, excluding Licorice Pizza, I, no, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, I don't think. I mean, maybe for some people we regard it, but I don't think that'll be regarded as his best movie. Um, but for yeah, everything but Licorice Pizza, I think. I think it technically is his best, but it's not my favorite. Like I think. Everything, like, from the cinematography, the score, the characters, the story, the themes. Like, everything in this movie is just, like, perfect around the board. Like, it's just a perfect movie. But for me personally, I like I like Punch Drunk a little bit more. Um, I don't know, like, Boogie Nights. But I think that's just because, in general, that I like more energetic, lively films. And this film very much is the opposite of that. Um, but I do think this is, like, his most perfect movie, technically best whatever you want to call it is boogie night boogie nights might be better boogie nights is a hell of a movie yeah i don't they're, they're two drastically different movies which is crazy they are and that's just i mean that's nothing but a just a hey look at how fucking great no, it's a huge compliment, yeah. is yeah but i mean <sighs> It's tough. I mean, I, a I, lot of I also people, love Phantom Thread, too. Like, it's it's so tough mm-hmm. to choose. I mean, this is when our, our guest star, Nick Liberto, a couple episodes ago, was, he was stuck on this question. Yeah. A lot of people um, would argue for um, Boogie Nights, you know? Like, that movie, I think it, Boogie Nights is a massive cultural touchstone. I think all, There Will Be Blood is, too, but I think Boogie Nights might be more well known maybe 
maybe? Like, I don't, I, I don't feel uh, super weird saying that. More well-known? I don't know. It's, it's tough. I mean, there, yeah, there's Marky Mark in the other movie. He had a big name back then. Also showed his schlong, which got a lot of talk. Fake, fake, fake schlong, yes, but still got a lot of talk. And but I think it's all, it's just I don't and maybe Boogie Nights I think is well known because people confuse it with Almost Famous so much. That's true, yeah, very true. Yeah, Boogie Nights and uh, Almost Famous is the same as No Country and There Will Be Blood. Man, it's so t- it's tough. This and this was going to lead into my next question, which was, did this deserve the Oscar over No Country for Old Men? Which is the way we thought of this. Of the, it's how we thought up this. You know, Cohen's versus PTA thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> I thought I would have an answer by now on on which I thought should to win. To me, it. I think There Will Be Blood should have won. Really? I think it's it's ultimately the better movie. Uh, but it is very close. It is very close. But ultimately, I think it's tough because they're both so similar in so many ways. But I just think PTA just does a better job or a more engaging job with it. I don't know. Because, yeah, I know the ending of No Country and the ending of There Will Be Blood, like, There Will Be Blood sticks with me so much more. They both stick with me because they they almost, they both end on a super profound but almost meaningless line that has all these different levels to it and then they just cut to black and then play the score and you're just like what just happened to me yeah <laughs> where, where did i go where have i been right like it's you, you it, both of them snap me out of this trance mm-hmm. like I, you can't take your eye off the screen yeah and you know and then i woke up and i'm finished are two Badass ways to end movies. Yeah. <laughs> They're so Damn, it's, good. Yeah, it's tough, man. They're both phenomenal movies. <laughs> and it's... I, I do not envy the Academy this year because, like, any other year, it's a no-brainer. I, I think like, I'm these... going There Will Be Blood because Daniel Day-Lewis' performance. Like, that's just such it, a good yeah. performance that it just takes it up to another level. It is insane every single time mm-hmm. every yeah single i'm blown time. away every time so what it's what, what honestly is super lucky here is that, like they didn't pull votes from each other they didn't split votes and then like atonement ends up winning or michael clayton ends up winning uh, you yeah. know no. <laughs> like they split votes and somebody else sneaks it and juno sneaks in there <laughs> like, yeah i'm curious <laughs> what the vote count was on that i wonder how close i was. am too can we get those can, nah. are those ever released nah. Hell no. They don't release those. Oh, man, they should. Yeah, that would be fascinating to look at, to see the vote counts on these things. If if they did, like, uh, not that I need to, like, pitch for the Oscars, <laughs> but, like, could you imagine if they did, like, an Oscars history book and it was just, like, a year-by-year breakdown, and then on the last page of each year it's just, like, little Oscar statuettes breaking down the best picture votes. I'm sure there's a binder or a PDF somewhere of that exact thing. We got to get that PDF. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's talk to our connects. See what we can do. <laughs> I wonder if, uh, you think if I applied, can I apply to be a, a Oscar voter an Academy member? <laughs> no. <laughs> or do you get asked to do you that? Get asked. <laughs> do you, like you I get can't asked apply to be a part and of the be committee. like, so 
I do this podcast. <laughs> Can I get some screeners, please? <laughs> I don't even need the screeners. Just give me that PDF. Give me those stats. Let's see them. Will can Will Can send me screeners after a year of this podcast? Can <laughs> doesn't do screeners. What are you talking about? Uh, they do during COVID. I mean, it's the same thing as the festival. It's just online. Yeah. Not screeners. They're they're actual screenings. You can watch it on. You can do cans online. Um. No, actually, I don't think. I think they just canceled cans in 2020. I don't think there was an online version. But I know that there are like. I think maybe the shorts are online or something like that. But. No, there was a winner in 2020. Maybe it was in person. I don't remember. It was in May. Oh, scheduled in May. Spike Lee was the president of the jury. I remember that. He still is. What? He was this year too. I thought it was different. Maybe there wasn't then. I think you're talking about this year. No, I'm definitely looking at 2020. Wait, what? 2020. Oh, 2020. They called this year's 2020. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, French Dispatch was on it. Yeah, that's because it didn't happen last year. So they just renamed it 2020. I think. Oh, but Tit- I don't see Titan. Should be on there. No, French Dispatch, This they definitely did one in 2020. We'll figure this out. They definitely did one in 2020 because French Dispatch has been ready for like two fucking no, years. No, Dispatch was 100% this year. I can't. 100%. Because Dune was also there, and that's why Timothy and Zendaya were there. Mm. I remember seeing the, the red carpet pictures of Dispatch this year. I don't know. I'll figure it out and get back to it. Um, yeah, moving on. Fuck. Back to blood. Not a lot of blood. Bowling scene. We'll hit this real quick and then wrap up if there's nothing left. He is a freaking sniper with that bowling ball. He drills Paul Dano in the ankle off a bounce. Dude, well, before that, when he was throwing the bowling balls, that one yeah. that hit the bucket and splashed perfectly in front of the camera. Like, do you think that yeah. was on purpose or just totally coincidence? I don't. I wonder if that's in the trivia. On IMDb. I don't know, but I've never that shot that. was like so perfect. I feel like it had to have been staged a little bit, but I don't know because I feel like it, when 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 uh, Daniel Day Lewis is like in that scene, he's just like doing whatever. Like he's in that scene. Like I'm sure he had some improvisation. He didn't have to go perfect, but I don't know. That ball was just like so perfectly thrown at that bucket where the splash just went like in a perfect arc right towards the camera. I don't know. Yeah. There's nothing about that on the trip. But yet. also, what I did notice was there seemed to be some sort of screen in front of the camera because the drops didn't actually hit the lens. Like, it hit something in front of it, you can kind of tell. So I wonder if they did prepare that he might have hit it. Mm, I don't know. It's awesome, though. Or maybe maybe um, PTA just gave him the direction, like, try to hit it, but if you don't, whatever, it's like, keep going, you know? But I don't know. It was just It was such a perfect shot. Like, he just nailed that. But yeah, then also with the bowling pins too was was perfectly well done. Um, they gave away that bowling alley to somebody. What? Or somebody bought it? Yeah, I don't know. Isn't it they a just, set? I guess they. It says the they they were gonna pay. He was gonna paint it all white, um, to give some cubic center, symmetry as a nod to Clockwork Orange. However, he changed it to its original state when it was later decided that the bowling alley was to be given away for ownership after filming. I guess they just took it so out. So I guess of the that grounds? means it got I don't know. They weird. just they just rebuilt yeah. it. Um I don't know. 
So here's another. I, I just control F to bowling on here. Um, the script originally ended with Plainview bludgeoning Eli to death with a tumbler instead of a bowling pin, then throwing his body through the bowling pins into the oh, cellar. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have loved to see that. That's crazy. I do love him just bashing him with a bowling pin, though. It's, it's, it's so brutal, and it's perfect for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, I feel like, more than him just like, like shoving him or whatever, it really shows like how he's letting out his like anger and frustration on him. I drink your milkshake. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a scene. Based off a real court case, like somebody was like suing somebody else because somebody came in from the side and slurped up all the oil. And the guy was like, if I have a straw and I reach it all the way across this courtroom and put it in your milkshake, I drink your milkshake. Wow. It's real. It's a real thing that happened. Is that what he based it off of? Yep. That's, he based it off that courtroom conversation. Wow. Not the movie, just that scene, that line. Yeah. Ingenious idea too to buy up the property next to where you know all the oil is. Like he already knew it was there. Mm. Oh, that's so great. But seriously, one of the he... best bowling scenes ever. <laughs> Nothing we'll can have beat to that. do. We'll get a top five bowling scenes uh, list going yeah. one day. It's gonna be that um, and the Big Lebowski. And that's about it. <laughs> God, got anything else? I'm out. I'm exhausted. I'm finished. <laughs> I was waiting for you All to right. get that. <laughs> Took a second. All right. So we are a week behind on Christmas stuff, but we're just gonna do three weeks. I don't. I don't think we we can't keep being a week behind. Sorry, Christmas season is cut short for us this year. It's only December first. Um, it is, but if we were gonna do our first Christmas movie, it would have to be this mm-hmm. week, right? Yeah, true. So we are going to do Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies. We don't have our first list finalized yet, but I'm just going to do some examples. Die Hard, one of the most well-known. Mm-hmm. Batman Returns. Uh, Black Christmas is a really well-known one. L.A. Confidential. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, and then we have some other stuff that we might line in around there, too. Um, some popular ones, maybe some less popular ones, but we'll get some good lists going together. I love this as a genre because it's always great for fights of like is this a christmas movie is it not a christmas movie like when you're fucking around with your friends you know <laughs> it's great yeah i mean yeah <laughs> at the end uh I, at the end i think we should uh just talk about our favorite christmas movie just we'll have a little five minute conversation but we just we're not gonna do an actual christmas movie do you count i mean i think yes but do you count bad santa as a christmas movie yeah. Yeah, because uh, Santa's in the name, so. Yeah, I saw a list saying uh, Home Alone should be a Christmas movie that isn't a Christmas what? movie. No. That's 100% a Christmas movie. But, well, because the argument is like. There's a Christmas tree in their house. Around. Like, they talk about Christmas. They're going on Christmas but vacation. That's, but that's a big reason that Die Hard. Merry is Christmas, a Christmas, you movie. filthy animal. I don't know. I don't know. But it, they say it's a story that just happens around Christmas time. But then what what classifies as a Christmas movie then? That's what that's what where my I made my brain hurt today thinking about that because I was like, wait, like yeah, like does it have to be like Rudolph to be a Christmas movie? Yeah, no, you know, like Die Hard takes place around Christmas. But that's not a Christmas movie. But it is a Christmas movie. But it's not. 
Well, that, yeah, that kind of proves the point. I don't know. Um, Die Hard came out in, in the summer. That's what a big argument is about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, usually when it does come out, kind of makes a little bit of a difference. And Home Alone, I think, but came lo- out around Christmas. November. Okay, close enough. So by your argument, that's a Thanksgiving <laughs> movie. Fair. Our argument from earlier that we can table for more content later. Um, I'm excited to get into the Christmas stuff, though, and then we could start hitting franchise stuff there, too, which is great. Uh, we haven't done that yet, and that'll always get clicks. Yeah, it's all about them clicks. That's why I'm going to title this Spider-Man. And <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home First Reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I might actually. I'm either gonna do like then in parentheses, then parentheses, right? Maguire, Toby revealed? Question mark? That, question mark? That could be great. People come to us and then we just don't talk about <laughs> it. Oh man, um, that's all I got, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited for these Christmas movies. As Me a too, Jewish man, a... these will be fun. <laughs> I forgot about that. No, I love Christmas movies. They're great. Oh God! There's no Hanukkah movies yeah. out there. <laughs> it's a Hanukkah song. By I mean, Adam yeah, Sandler. there's a couple Adam Sandler movies that I guess are technically Hanukkah movies. Is every uh, Adam Sandler movie a Hanukkah movie? I mean, <laughs> they don't they don't take place around Hanukkah. Definitely makes Jew jokes, but oh, by the way, <laughs> licorice pizza, tons of Jew jokes. So many Jew jokes. <laughs> I was dying. I thought you were about to say Jewish representation, like shout. Well, that's a win for the home yeah, team. Yeah, I guess there is because one of the main characters' family is all Jewish, and I show them. But tons of Jew jokes. It's great. <laughs> it's great. I love Jew jokes. They're the best. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, let's end it there. That's it. All right, thank you. Goodbye. Till next time. It was a great episode. Thanks, buddy. See you later.